let's just let's just say that this has been a tough sermon to set up. Uh, tougher for Brad than for me, but uh, it was tough, and it's been a fight to get here. I've been I've been wanting to do this sermon for a long, long time. Uh, I've been scared to death to do it, to be very honest with all you folks, because uh, it, it can get to be controversial. So there it is, God's will and healing. And I think we could talk for hours and hours and hours about God's will. Uh, and I'm sure there's probably a dozen different sermons that could be done on just that question alone. But since we're not just talking about God's will this morning, I'm going to talk about a couple of pass passages as examples before we move on. Now, we hear a lot about God's will. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself, what does it mean? You know, what, what is God's will? We, we hear it a lot. Uh, and it often, believe it or not, causes anxiety for Christians. We think that God's will is hard to find and it's easy to fall out of. We often talk about that, you know, are we falling out of God's will? Am I in God's will? Am I out of God's will? How do I find God's will? Well, I think we need to get rid of those notions. And I think the first notion that we have is that God makes his will difficult to know. When Christians become anxious about finding God's will, they're really saying that God hasn't made his will known to them or that he's hiding it or that in some sense it's lost and it needs to be found. And, and I just don't agree with that. You know, that, that doesn't square with God's character as the Bible reveals to us. Uh, think about this scripture. Uh, it's Micah 6, 6 to 8 from the NIV. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. Now, it's a musician in me. That last part sounds familiar to you. You remember a song called Courageous from the movie of the same name? If you look at the, the lyrics to that song, right smack dab in the middle of the song, the songwriter wrote that little refrain, seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Now, why in the world would he put that in there? You know, and, and Katie, I know all the musical reasons for putting it in there, but, you know, it just, it just seems like if you take it out, the song still sounds fine. But, but there it is, and it's from, it's from this scripture from Micah. So what do we learn from this passage of scripture? Well, I can pick out five things about God's will from these verses. First of all, God's will is known. It's not religious activity, always. It's doing the right thing. It's doing the right thing when we're wronged. And it's sticking close to God. So simply put, you know what God's will is. He's shown it. It's not religious activity as an end in itself, but it's justice, mercy, and humility. Do the right thing. Do the right thing when wrong. And stick close to God. 
That's what God requires of us. That's God's will. Now, take a look at Ephesians 1, verse 9. It says, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. So what's God's ultimate plan? Bring everything together under Jesus, right? And because we're united, we are united with Christ, we have an inheritance in Christ. When you have time, and if you're on the internet, you might want to go to Joyce Meyer's page, JoyceMeyer.org, and search for who I am in Christ. Now, there's probably 50 sermons in that alone, but one of my favorites that's relevant here is I received the power of the Holy Spirit and he can do miraculous things through me. I have authority and power over the enemy of this world, or in this world, and you can find that in Mark 16 and Luke 10, but what I want you to look at this morning is Matthew 12, 49 and 50, something that Jesus said. Jesus pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, that's one of those deals where you, you pull the verse out of context, right? I just jumped at you with that verse. So let, let's fill it in. Jesus is speaking before a large crowd, and someone, probably one of the disciples, comes up and says, hey, your mom and brothers are here waiting to talk to you. And Jesus ignores that, and he says, these are my mother and sisters and brothers and I think, I think that's something we need to keep in mind when we think about who we are in Christ, what God's will is for us, that, that we're in Christ. We're sisters and brothers of Christ. And, and that's part of our inheritance. That's, that's who we are as Christians. That's what Christian means, you know, little Christ. Now, we're going to change gears here. I gave you a little information on God's will, and, and please, there is a tremendous amount of stuff in the Bible on God's will that you can read and that you can learn about. But I'm going to ask the $64,000 question now. Is it God's will to heal? Darlene's going like this. And I'll bet Judy is too. I can barely see you, Judy. I'm sorry. My allergies are terrible this morning. Um, <laughs> now, when I told PJ I was going to teach on God's will and healing, he used a word. He says, that's a minefield. <laughs> uh, and, and I think what his meaning was, no matter what you teach about it, God, somebody's going to disagree with you. Because, because believe it or not, healing in the church is kind of controversial. Um, and some people would disagree no matter what we teach. And that's okay. I think that's how we expand our faith is, is through discussion and disagreement. But I think it's important that we stick with what the Bible says about it 
And I think secondary to that, it's kind of important that we stick with what the Assembly of God says about it. So again, is it God's will to heal? Let's define healing. The dictionary is pretty simple. It says the process of becoming well again. Thank you, Captain Obvious, right? Uh, especially after a cut, which I found interesting, especially after a cut or other injury or of making someone well again. And then the secondary definition was the process in which a bad situation or painful emotion ends or improves. So don't forget, there's emotional healing too. We, we most often look at healing from disease, but there's emotional healing in Christ. When you look in, in the secular dictionaries for divine healing, divine healing, it says healing through divine intervention as in response to prayer or because of faith or a method employing prayer or faith in the hope of receiving such healing. What was the, what was the Sunday school lesson on this morning? Hope. You got to love God when he starts to put things together. And, and trust me, Marlene and I didn't talk about that. As a matter of fact, I'm ashamed to admit it, but I didn't even read the lesson for this week. Um, here's the AG's position on healing. From its inception, the General Council of the Assemblies of God has recognized divine healing for the whole person as an important part of the gospel, the good news, which Jesus commissioned his disciples to proclaim. The Assemblies of God Constitution, in its Statement of Fundamental Truth, Section 12, states, sounds real legal, doesn't it? Uh, states, divine healing is an integral part of the gospel. Deliverance from sickness is provided for in the atonement and is the privilege of all believers. Now, we hear a lot about privilege nowadays, but this says it's the privilege of all believers. Now, sometimes the word atonement, at least to me, can be confusing. If you read Genesis 3, you see that the curse was laid on everything. I know, and I know I've spoken about this before, not just Adam, Eve, or the serpent. Everything was changed. The whole creation was affected by the curse. A lot of people don't think about that or don't realize it. Jesus' atonement for our sins on the cross broke the curse on what? Everything. And I believe that's part of how divine healing becomes available to us because not only did he break the curse of sin and, and give us the ability to be forgiven for our sins, but he also broke the rest of the curse, sickness and disease and all that kind of stuff. And if we're in Christ and we're, and we're an inheritor of Christ, then we should be an inheritor of that part of the breaking of the curse as well. Now, it's easy to see when you read the Bible, healing is one of the spiritual gifts. What are spiritual gifts for? Who's old school here? Judy, what are, what's the purpose of the spiritual gifts? Right? To edify the church. Right. And what's it? And a sign for who? And a sign for who? The unbelievers, right? Right. To edify the church and as a sign to the unbelievers, yeah. 
yeah. And, and everything else that you said. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, one of the main purposes is to point non-believers to who? To Jesus. I mean, if, if we've been saved and we believe in Christ and, and we witness a miracle, what does that do for us? It lifts us up, right? It edifies us. But if someone's sitting in the back of the church and they're not saved yet, and they see somebody get up out of a wheelchair and walk out of the church, what do they think? Well, one of two things. Either they think, hey, this is real, or man, that was a great setup. Because unbelievers, like, like Pastor always says, you know, you, you really can't see until you get saved. All right, let's go into 1 Corinthians 12. Um, and Paul, this is talk, Paul talking. And he says in verse 7, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Well, that's interesting. You know, I've, I've heard a lot of talk about the spiritual gifts and, you know, how it's given to you to give away. Um, but here, here it says it's, all, it's given to us so we can help each other. That's great. Now, one of the things that I think we need to address at this point as part of asking this question, is it God's will to heal, is there is a, there is a belief in a lot of denominations that, that healing has ceased, that it ceased with the death of the last apostle or that it ceased with the start of the church age or, or all kinds of things. Um, those people are called cessationists. And they usually point to two things. They point to Paul's thorn in his flesh, and they point to the, um, oh, the name I can't pronounce, Epaphroditus. So let's look at those two examples. Now, before we do, let me make the general statement. You can read the entire New Testament, and nowhere in the entire New Testament does it say healing ceased. It doesn't give you any scripture to back that up. So let's look at those two, two examples. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 and 9. Paul says, Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Now, a lot of people argue that, that that's a form of sickness. The thorn was a form of sickness. And since he didn't get healed from it, so it must not have been healing in that, in that age. Um, and they also argue that this also means that God sometimes wants us sick for some reason. There are a couple problems with this, and, and we've learned the importance of context when studying Scripture. I've hammered on it. Pastor's hammered on it. Marlene's talked about it. If you look at this passage of Scripture and this, this part of the Bible where Paul is speaking, sickness is never discussed in that. It's never discussed in that context. What's the topic of this? Persecution. 
is what Paul's talking about in this part. So when you look at when you look at this scripture, the Greek word used for messenger is agelos. Agelos, I think that's how you pronounce it. And the translation of that is angel. It's interesting. The obvious meaning to me would be that Satan sent a fallen angel or a demon to harass Paul, and God allowed it, because God doesn't cause that kind of stuff, but God can allow it to keep Paul humble. Now, how many of you have read all the Pauline epistles? Was, was Paul generally a humble guy? I don't think so. Paul was kind of in your face like Peter. You know, so maybe Paul needed <laughs> something to keep him humble. I think a lot of us do. So let's look at the second example that they use to say that healing stopped. That's, that's the sickness of Epaphroditus. And this, this is maybe not as well known as Paul's thorn in his flesh, but Philippians 2, 25 to 28. And, and again, this is Paul speaking. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to help me in my need. I am sending him because he has been longing to see you, and he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him, and then I will not be so worried about you. Now, cessationists say that this is another example that healing ceased. Well, I think this one's pretty simple. What's the second sentence in verse 27 say? But God had mercy on him. And do you really think that Paul would send a friend that was near death back to a church? Do you think the church would rejoice about that? I don't think so. I think Epaphroditus was healed. So, I mean, you can go through Scripture and you can find a lot of other proofs, and, and we're not going to go into them here. No, we're not going to go into them here. Um, let's look at a couple of things regarding God's will to heal. What's one of the name of God, the names of God? Jehovah Rapha, Right? And literally, that means, I am your healing. So to me, that kind of answers the whole question, right? Is it God's will to heal? Why would he pick a name, one of his names, because he has a lot of names, Jehovah Rapha, I am your healing, if it wasn't his will to heal people? Did God heal in the Old Testament? Sure he did. One of my favorite stories is in 2 Kings, and it's, a, it's the uh, one about Naaman. And <laughs> Naaman had leprosy. He was, he was, a, he was a, great, a great man. He was a great warrior, and he had leprosy. And so his king sent him to Jerusalem, I guess. Well, maybe not. He sent him to the Israelites because he wanted him healed. And the Israelite king went crazy. He said, this guy is just sending him to me because he wants to make war and, he, you know, he wants to attack us. And Elisha says, send him to me so that everybody will know that there is a, pro is a prophet of God in, in Israel. 
So Naaman comes to Elisha, and he comes with his whole contingent. I mean, it's pompous, and it's, you know, he's got all his soldiers there, and I would be willing to bet they have, because in those days they always had the musicians out in front leading the, uh, leading the armies. They were the first one that would get speared. Hear that, Katie? Uh, Elisha doesn't even see him. Elisha sends his messenger out, and his messenger says, go wash in the Jordan seven times, and you'll be healed. And what does Naaman do? Naaman has a hissy fit. Well, I thought at least this guy had come out and speak some things over me. And, and finally, one of Naaman's saner advisors says, you know, if, if Elisha had come out and said, do this or do that, you probably would have done it. Why don't you go try this? So he goes and he washes in the, in the river seven times and he's healed. Now, this tells me two things. First of all, God healed in the Old Testament. Secondly, God has a tremendous sense of humor because this guy really needed some humility and he got it. Because if that happened to me and I was healed, I think I'd feel pretty humble after, after that display that I did at Elisha's house. So let's move on. My favorite prophet, Isaiah. Isaiah 53, 4 to 6. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Who's, who's Isaiah talking about here? Yeah. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We like sheep have gone astray, each of us turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. If you look at this passage, Isaiah sees four things that are taken from us by Christ's atonement. Grief, sorrow, transgressions, and iniquities. And he sees two things that are given to us, peace and healing. So, our transgressions and our iniquities were taken from us at the same time that peace and healing was given to us. Jesus purchased our forgiveness and our healing through the atonement. And that goes back to what we discussed before about it. So, forgiveness and healing are forever tied together at the cross. Let me read you a little bit more from one of the AG papers on healing. An important aspect of biblical salvation is its holistic nature. Christ died to reverse the curse resulting from the sin of our first parents. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. That's in Galatians 3.13, I'll tell you that if you want to look it up. The curse was death, both physical and spiritual. He died for the whole man, not only for man's soul. His redemptive work includes salvation for all aspects of man's being, however one conceives the interrelationship of body, soul, and spirit. And again, we were talking about that in Sunday school this morning. Um, healing is part of God's will. It's an integral part of God's will. It's an integral part of Christ's atonement on the cross. Do you, do you agree? I don't see anybody going like this, so, okay. 
What's the New Testament say about healing? Well, most of what, what I'm going to cover here is, is about the gifts. Healing is one of the twofold gifts. And what that means, it's, it's given to the church and to individuals. And this is from, this is from the AG. Uh, now, the gift, of, the gift of the gifts of healing shares with tongues and miracles the special status of being given on a twofold basis to the individual, and you'll find that in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, and to the church in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Its identification with these two other gifts becomes a further fact in understanding its nature and its divinely intended purpose. These are sign gifts. Now remember, you remember on Wednesday night we're studying with Tiff Shuttlesworth, you know, how the rapture is a signless event? Well, well these, these are sign gifts. They're given in fulfillment of the Lord's farewell promise these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. That's Mark 16, 17, and 18. As it were, these are the credentials God provides his servants, both individually and corporately as a church, so that they enable to carry out his commission. Go ye unto all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And we, we read of the ministry of Philip, the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. That's an Acts. So to me this says that as followers of Jesus, we should expect to see these gifts in operation in our church and in our lives. Now, let's look at a couple, couple things that Jesus said. And I'm going to be honest with you, this is where it gets a little bit controversial, so buckle up and bear with me. In Mark 6, verses 7 to 13, as he called his disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits, he told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick. No food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals, but not to take a change of clothes. Wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. So the disciples went out, telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. Now, now, many is an interesting word. You know, how many is many? We know, we know what a couple is, and we know what a few is. You know, many, many can be more than three, or it can be a multitude. Who knows? In Luke 10, verse 8 and 9, Jesus gets a little bit more specific. If you enter a town and it welcomes you, Eat whatever is set before you, heal the sick, and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. Now, I'm going to say a few things that may set you on edge, but bear with me. I'll try and bring it together at the end. Look at what he said in Luke 10, verse 9. Heal the sick, tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Did he say, ask my father to heal them? No, he didn't. Did he say, ask me to heal them? Uh-uh. 
Yeah, he told the disciples to go out and heal. It was a command. Now, when we exercise a spiritual gift, who gets the glory for it? God. I should say who, who's supposed to get the glory for it, right? God. But who exercises the gift? We do. We exercise it by our relationship with Christ and by Christ's power and our faith. So, in effect, Jesus told his disciples, you heal them in my name. That's, what he, that's what he, pretty much what he said. And this is where the confusion comes in. When we see someone pray over a sick person and they are healed, who do a lot of people focus on? person doing the healing, right. Who are they supposed to be focusing on? Jesus. Yeah, God. The saved are to be edified and the unsaved are to be pointed to Jesus. That's the whole purpose. The person's praying for the healing can easily become what? An idol. If they can't remain humble, they can become an idol. Many evangelists have fallen victim to their egos when it comes to healing. Who knows who Smith Wigglesworth was? Young people don't know Smith Wigglesworth. I love that name. He was part of the early revival. Uh, he later became an AG minister. Um, he started out in England, I believe. Uh, he had some unorthodox methods for healing such as punching people in the stomach and slapping them. He healed quite a few people, but he's still surrounded by controversy even after his death. Now, I, I read some of the interviews that were done with him, <laughs> and, and what he basically said, and I think, I think you have to think about this a little bit, is I'm not hitting the person I'm hitting Satan. I'm hitting the demon that's causing this sickness. Now, that's a great excuse. <laughs> I, I'd love to use that on some people that I would have liked to. Uh, but, but a lot of people were healed in his services. And he would pray sometimes for hours with people. There's a couple stories about, you know, he prayed for two hours with people and they came back the next time and he, he wouldn't, he sent them away because he had spent so much time with them before. So a controversial figure, right? And that kind of lends to the controversy of healing. A lot of people think that healing someone is a special gift that's given to, to a person. I think like all the spiritual gifts, we don't own it. They're given to us by God to what? To give to someone else, to help each other. He may use us many times in the same gift, but it's still not ours. So when someone comes up to you and says, I have the gift of healing, or I have the gift of discernment, first of all, there's no gift of discernment, it's discernment of spirits, I'd be a little wary of them because they don't have the gift. It's there, if, if they do have a, you know, if God gives them that gift, it's for somebody else. 
I, I firmly believe that, and I, I hope that's in line with the AG, but if it's not, that's my belief. Um, all right. Now, in closing, and trust me, that means nothing, let's talk about the elephant in the room that often prevents us from stepping out in this gift. What about when we pray for someone and nothing happens? We talked about that this morning. What, what do you do? You know, uh, I think Marlene, Marlene said it best, you know, some, sometimes a person's going to die because we all die. But, but that's the kicker, isn't it? I mean, isn't that what keeps a lot of people from laying hands on someone? Isn't it what keeps us from going up to somebody's deathbed and saying, in the name of Jesus, rise? I mean, I know it's affected me. It, it's, it's hard to step out in any of those gifts. First of all, is God going to give it to you? Secondly, is the person going to receive it? You know, it's, it, there, there's so many things that I think run around in our head. What causes sickness, death, and destruction in the world? Sin, yeah. There, there's two. Let, let's break it up. There's natural causes, viruses. We're dealing with one now. Bacteria, lifestyle choices. You know, some of us, some of us used to be alcoholics, and that was a lifestyle choice. And that there's consequences for that all through your life, no matter when you stop. Um, injuries. There's demonic causes by the spirit of infirmity, affliction, or a curse. But both of those types, natural and demonic, what are they? Whose purview are they under? Satan, right? God doesn't cause sickness. Yes, God sometimes will allow sickness for some reason, but that's not his will for us. Just like it wasn't his will for us to get thrown out of the Garden of Eden. If you remember the story of Job, you remember that? Now, Job, the way I like, I forget which pastor of mine put it this way. You know, Job couldn't see what was going on behind the curtain. Job wasn't party to the conversation between God and the angels and Satan. All Job saw was what was happening to him. So, you know, sickness and disease, sometimes Satan can put that on you and, and God can allow it for, for a time, for a season. We should never think that a lack of faith on the part of, being, of the person being prayed for is why they weren't healed. Jesus healed people who didn't even believe. You know, he, he, went, he healed parts of the multitude. I mean, on, on that one occasion, he healed thousands of people, and how many do you think really believed? I think, and again, this is a personal opinion, that it has more to do with the faith of the person doing the praying, not a lack of faith in God, but a lack of faith that God wants to heal caused by doubt. Who is the author of doubt? Satan, right? 
Sometimes I get so mad at him because he messes up our lives so much. And sometimes I get mad at me because I let him mess up my life so much. Physical healing is at best a temporary deliverance. We just talked about that, right? Everybody dies. But physical and spiritual death have been overcome by who? Jesus, the one who took it, both our sins and our sickness on himself on the cross. I think it's important here to realize that it's not so much worrying about, is the person I'm praying for going to be healed, as it is stepping out in faith to do that. I mean, if, if you guys take nothing else away from this today, take, take that away. It's, you got to do it. You got to step out in faith for a lot of things. So, by now, a number of years are worried that I'm going to have an altar call for healing, right? I, I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to tell you why. I think God has placed it on us to heal one another. Instead, I'm going to leave you with a quote from a friend of mine. And I don't believe he's AG, but he is saved. Unless you're willing to lay hands on a sick person standing in front of you, have a conversation with the angel standing behind you, or have a discussion with God about the thought that popped into your head 10 minutes ago, you're going to miss what God is doing. If you want to live supernaturally, and we all do, you must exert your free will and engage the kingdom wherever and whenever the opportunity presents itself. It doesn't happen automatically. God isn't going to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, you've got the gift of healing today. Go heal somebody. That's not how God works. More than likely, you're going to run into somebody who has a problem, be it a physical disability, emotional, or whatever, and the Holy Spirit is going to make it possible for you to talk to each other. That's the point where you need to step out and say, can I pray for you? Hmm. Uh, and this is something that I'm just starting to learn, and I'm an old guy. Not as old as some of you, but I'm an old guy. God wants us to come into his presence and talk things out. Not just ask him to heal or do something else, something else over and over again. I, I have a wife that's dying slowly from a disease called COPD. It's, it's horrible to watch, and, and many of you have watched the same thing with cancer and with other things. You know, I pray constantly for her, for her healing. Now, again, part of it is consequences because she smokes from the time she was 15 until about five years ago she stopped. You know, and there are consequences for that. Now, does she love the Lord? Yeah. Does she pray? Yeah. Is she saved? Oh, yeah. She's the reason I'm saved. But God doesn't answer that prayer for healing. Man, that's frustrating. But through that, she's gotten closer to God. I've gotten closer to God. And like Marlene was saying this morning, on which side of glory you get healed doesn't really matter.
if you're saved, you're going to be healed, whether it's up there or down here. God wants us to put our faith in him and live our lives according to his will, which we just learned part of what his will is for us. So we have, we have no excuse to ask, well, gee, I wonder what God's will is for me. Seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Simple. I, I hate to do this because I know Pastor Jeff would have a fit, but that's it. That's, that's the sum total of the lesson this morning, and Brad can tell you that I tried to lengthen this. God just wouldn't allow it. You know, this is what he gave me. This is what I preached. And I hope some, some of you, I hope, were here because you needed to hear that. So thanks for listening. Let's pray. Father, I never cease to find your word amazing. Each time we read it, it's different. Each time we read it, it speaks to something else that we need to hear, Lord. And I thank you. We thank you for the word this morning. We thank you for your presence here this morning, Lord. We ask that that continue, that that presence stays with us, that your spirit speaks to our spirit, and uh, we go out into the world this week, and, and we have the courage to step out and operate in, in the gifts that you, you freely give us, Lord, to help each other. So, Lord, watch over us this week. Be with Pastor and Anna on their way home. Give them a good time this weekend, Lord, and, and give them rest and peace. And, Father, for all the people that we've been praying for for, the, for weeks that, that have COVID, that have cancer, that are sick from one disease or another, for my wife, for all the people that, uh, that we don't know, Lord, we just ask that you touch them. Uh, that, that you put them in front of somebody who is willing to pray with them. And uh, most of all, that you get them saved and get them here, Lord. And, and we just thank you. And we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. Don't forget the announcements. Don't forget to tell PJ anything that's happened in your lives because he, because he loves to hear the good stuff as well as the bad stuff. So the bad stuff is his job. The good stuff is the icing on the cake. Thank you.